Hey everyone. Um, so I'm Janet B. I'm recovered from compulsive eating and bulimia. As Casey was praying, I was thinking, oh, a good topic for this night would be the guy in T Toy Story. I'm not sure which the Rocket Man guy to infinity and beyond, because this is we get through the ninth step, and it says we continue to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This continues for a lifetime to infinity and beyond. So let's go. Um, we are on page 83. We've just finished the first nine steps. So it's last paragraph there says, um, and this is the promises. And if anyone is new here, about two weeks ago, we did a workshop on the step five promises, which were really the promises from the first five steps. So we really covered in depth the promises. And now we're getting to like, the mother load of the promises. Page 83 at the bottom. If we are painstaking about this phase of our recovery, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. Okay, so first I'm going to say a word about, it says, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. What does it mean to be halfway through? Does it mean halfway through our amends? So if we've had, if we had 20 amends, we've made 10 of them. Does it mean halfway through the steps so that once we're on step four and a half, um, we start getting the promises? And what I would say is don't get hung up on that. Don't get so hung up on the exact precise meaning of the word and trying to extrapolate it that you miss the point. We will be amazed, wonderfully surprised. At some point, if you do these steps, you will be wonderfully surprised. So if you don't get it by four and a half, keep going until you're done with your ninth step. And if it doesn't happen then, just keep going. It's a promise. So if we are painstaking, we will be amazed. So when we say, see the word if, I sometimes have written in my book, if and only if. I can't expect these promises just because I've been going to meetings for X number of years. They're a direct result of doing this work. So we will be amazed. And then how are we gonna be amazed? We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness, a new freedom. Like, well, of course, freedom from food, but it's also like freedom from demands. and. I love the way Melissa puts it. She says, I don't have a way anymore. In other words, I don't have to get my way. I don't have a demand for my way. So what a freedom that is. That means like when I go on vacation and we don't see the sights that I wanna see, it's fine. I'm free to just let other people get what they want. That is freedom and a new happiness that we can just be, we're just happy. Um, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And it talks a little bit more about that in a minute or two. So I'll go into that. Um, but right, don't we normally want to do that? We've done some rotten things in the past. We just want to shut the door on it because we're ashamed. We don't want to look at it ourselves. And we don't want other people to see it. But it says that will change says, we will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. C understand the word serenity. Well, I guess we could 
look up the word in the dictionary and see that's one way to comprehend it. So I'm actually going to do that now. Serenity, the state of being calm, peaceful, and untroubled. Okay, so now we all comprehend it on a second grade level, the meaning of it. But I think they're talking about a deeper level. And they actually give us the formula for serenity on page 68. It says, just see if I had a whiteboard, we could write this out. Just to the extent we do as we think he, meaning God, would have us, and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? So if I did A units of relying on God plus B units of doing what I think God would have me equals A, B units of serenity. Any math teachers here? Did I do that right? Sounds right. It's right. Okay. So if I'm not feeling serene, the first thing I'm supposed to look at is not my circumstances. It's, am I doing what God would have me? And am I trusting him? So I have an example today of how I felt serenity, even with hard circumstances. Um, I sometimes suffer from crippling insomnia. I mean, really awful. And for the past week or so, I've I've had it. Um, and today, I usually work at home. Well, today I didn't get to work at home. I had to go into New York City on the train and sit in this like, okay, my boss isn't listening, this boring meeting for like three hours. Um, and while I'm sitting in the meeting, trying to like pay attention and stay awake, I get a text, your mom, who is at the assisted living, we've had to today move her down to the Alzheimer's unit because she had packed all her suitcases, wanting to catch a plane to Florida. Um, I'm in New Jersey. And I looked at the text and it's like, okay, she's safe. There's nothing I can do now, except participate in my meeting and, you know, try to be helpful to my job and then send a text to the director thanking her and making sure that she brings my mom's picture of my dad, because I know that would keep her calm. And so in the midst of what someone might say is calamity, I wasn't feeling well. I was, um, you know, in a place that wasn't intellectually stimulating to me. And I get this news about my mom and I was serene because I was trusting God and I was doing what I thought he would have me. And in that I could have serenity. Now I give you that as a good example. I could probably give you 10,000 examples of something little not going my way and me being all upset. But again, as we always say, recovery never has to do with circumstances. It always has to do with my spiritual condition. So I need to be doing what I think God would have me, which is our third step, and trusting him, which we get in the second step. And we find that as we go through the steps, He just we just start noticing him showing up more and more. So by this time, we comprehend the word serenity in our souls. And we will know peace. Happiness is like good things happen, right? And of course they do. As we work this program, our relationships get restored. You know, our family relationships, our work relationships, our friend relationships. Um, so we're happy. But it also says we have peace. And that's 
kind of a happiness no no matter what our circumstances are. Yes, our circumstances get better, but we have a peace in spite of them. Then it says, no matter how far down the scale we've gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others, right? Not regretting the past nor wishing to shut the door on it. So what does that lead to? We will see how our experience can benefit others, the bad things in our lives. That leads to the next promise, the feeling of uselessness and self-pity disappear. It disappears because now I have something that I can share with others, that I can use to help others. I was talking um, on a meeting once how one of the um, not very nice things I did in the illness is I faked a rape. And once you know, there was someone I was sponsoring at the time and she said, you know, I did that too. Um, no matter how far down the scale we've gone, and that was pretty far down, that was able to help others. And then we feel useful, right? If we can help others and self-pity will disappear. My sponsor says self-pity is the devil. You know, she just like, it's really bad. Um, another friend of mine says self-pity parties end with a cake. So if I'm in self-pity, it really means I'm full of pride because I'm thinking I don't deserve whatever bad thing is happening to me today. And like, who am I to say that? I am blessed beyond measure that I'm not shoving Milky Ways down my throat. Um, it's okay, whatever happens. Um, I have a, I, for about a year, I've had a tremor in my left thumb and they've been able to control it somewhat with acupuncture. And the other day I thought, I'm starting to see a tremor in my right hand. My dad died of Parkinson's. And I just thought for today, I don't have Parkinson's. If it comes, you know, then I will submit it to God to use for his glory, for the good of my soul, and for me to help others. So again, no self-pity that my thumb is shaking, that I can't, you often can't apply mascara with my left hand. You know, it's just like, I'm, I'm so grateful for what I have. Um, we lose interest in selfish things. Again, now when I go on vacation, I can express a preference, but we don't have to do everything that I want to do. It's okay. Um, my life is good. We gain interest in our fellows. We care about other people. I'm able to sit and think, okay, they moved my mom today. Let them just get her that picture. She needs that picture. I'm able to attune my mind to other people. Um, Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. Again, that's a promise. We do the work and then th these are the results. Um, we're not afraid so much of what people think about us. We don't care as much because we're in the God-pleasing business. And of economic insecurity, well, if... We read back on the history of the founders, none of them had money. You know, they didn't have money. Um, it's okay, we lose our fear of that. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us because we're not living in fear all the time anymore. And we will suddenly realize God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. A few days ago, I made like a stupid self-will decision and started to get myself in a pickle. And then um, I just 
said, whatever, I'll do the right thing from here on out. I made a mistake. I'll do the right thing. And God just arranged things that I was able to get out of that mess without causing any damage. Um, God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? Well, they're extravagant in the form of like, they're just like unbelievably, awesomely wonderful, but not extravagant in the sense of impossible. They are ours. I mean, they are our birthright as, you know, children of God. Um, and it says they are fulfilled by God, not, not by us. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But they will always materialize if we work for them. We don't seek the promises. I can't go out and seek, okay, I will lose my fear of economic insecurity by earning $500,000 and putting it in the bank. Well, that's one way to try to lose my fear. But no, I surrender to God as I understand God and do his will as best I can. And then he supplies me with all these changed attitudes. And then it tells us, okay, so now we're at step 10. We finished the first nine steps, so, which means we've surrendered our lives to God and we've cleaned up the wreckage of our past. So now step 10 is really cleaning up the wreckage of our day. And again, there's some you know people who get hung up on like, what's step 10, what's step 11? And I'll just say, it doesn't matter what we call it, but just for ease, to just delineate, I call step 10, the inventory process, the, the nightly review and the during the day spot checks. And step 11 is the prayer and meditation. If you wanna call the nightly review step 11, that's fine. Just, we have to call it something. So I'm putting all the inventory stuff in step 10. Four through nine is clearing up the wreckage of my past. Step 10 is clearing up the wreckage of my day. And on page 84, it tells me a couple of things. It says, we continue to take personal inventory and to set right any new mistakes. We don't become perfect. We're still going to make mistakes, but they're just mistakes. They're not indications that I'm in horrible relapse just because I do something selfish one day. I do something selfish, any given day, I could sit and find something I've done that was selfish. Um, but that's improvement because before I worked this program, if I looked, I could probably make a list of a dozen things each day that were selfish. Um, so we look at our mistakes and it says we vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. So we don't wait till we're through with the first nine steps to start being honest. Um, to start being unselfish and putting other people's welfare first. We start doing it right away. And then it says, we have entered the world of the spirit. And I think of like in the Wizard of Oz, you know how the first like 20 minutes is black and white, and then it's in color. We're in the world of the spirit. Well, what does that mean? And the, again, a good example I can think of is gravity, right? Normally we have the law of gravity. I, something's there, I let go, it falls. It falls to the ground. How come birds don't fall? How come airplanes don't fall? Because there's a higher law than gravity and that's the law of like aerodynamics. And once you're, I guess, a certain height and a certain speed, 
you kind of transcend gravity and now you're not subject to its laws anymore. When we submit our lives to God, we've entered the world of the spirit. That means I've surrendered my entire life to God, not just my food, right? It's no good if I surrender my food, but I cheat on my husband or cheat on my taxes. I surrender everything. And then I'm in the world of the spirit. So when people say like, well, God will make everything work out for good. The answer is like, well, maybe not for people who haven't surrendered their lives to him. God's not Santa Claus, right? Where I can you know, do whatever I want and then ask him to just bail me out when I'm in trouble. I mean, maybe he will, but we want guarantees. We are people who need guarantees that he's going to help us. We were at our the end of our rope. So we surrender everything. And then we are in the world of the spirit. We are protected, ultimately protected by God. And so now what's our job? to grow in understanding and effectiveness, understanding in our relationship with him, learning more and more about God. So we really want to deepen our understanding of God, like read things that help us to learn about God, you know, try different prayer and meditation techniques to try and understand the mind of God um, and effectiveness being better able to help our fellow human beings, especially for us in recovery, fellow compulsive eaters who are still struggling. And it says this continues for our lifetime. And it tells us some kind of landmines we're going to find on the way. Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When they crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately we make amends, and then we resolutely, resolutely, because it's not natural, at least for me, to turn our thoughts to someone we can help. And then they say, remember, love and tolerance of others is our code. Um, now, always people ask like, okay, do you have to call someone immediately if you get a resentment? And to that, I would say first, do whatever your sponsor tells you to do, because I don't think there's necessarily a right or a wrong Often people are told at the beginning, make a call every single time. What I generally do is if I resolve something on the spot, you know, it's like uh, someone cut me off in traffic or something, and then I get mad and then I, you know, can resolve it instantly. I don't make a call, but on my nightly review, it's like had a resentment, you know, got resolved. I may work it out. If I can't resolve it on my own and, you know, quickly, I'll generally call someone. Um, I personally, again, this is my, just my opinion now. I don't believe in just like looking on some app and or some group me and seeing who's free and calling someone I don't know. Because if I'm going to share something personal about myself, in chapter six, it tells me that I have a right to pick the person, that I have to know that the person can keep a confidence, understands what I'm driving at. And I've had people give me some like not very good feedback. So I just have like, I guess, a God squad, you know, my sponsor, Melissa, my 10 step partner and BFF, and then maybe half a dozen women who I feel comfortable with. And if I can't get any of them, then I'll call someone whose recovery I respect. Um, so I'd say like, we have a right to choose who we wanna open our hearts to. 
Okay, and then love and tolerance of others is our code. That means the way we live. What does that mean, love? So I think they're not just talking about like warm feelings. Self-sacrifice for the good of another person. That's love in action. Self-sacrifice for the good of another person. And tolerance. I think that's a fruit of recovery, that things about other people don't bother us so much anymore. Yeah, so it's like, if I say like my husband is in as neat as I am, you know, it's like whatever. Although in my house, my husband would be the one saying, yeah, my wife isn't as neat as I would like, whatever. It's just like having having tolerance for other people's character defects because God has a lot of tolerance for mine and my family has had to have a lot of tolerance for mine. So we want to keep growing in love and tolerance. And then some of the best nine-step promises. We have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even food. For by this time, sanity will have returned. Remember on page 24, we talked about the insanity of this illness, how we couldn't remember our binges strongly enough to deter us. We were insane. It would be like me who has a terrible cat allergy that I keep going to pet stores because I forget that if I go into a pet store, I'm going to get sick. Um, that would be the insanity. And we had that insanity with food, but it says sanity returns. And then it tells us the two prongs of this return to sanity. One, we will seldom be interested in liquor or for us, food not on our food plan. We just won't be interested very often. And if tempted, because we're only human, so every now and then we might be, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. Now, if I'm near a hot flame, do I sit there and say, oh, if I put my hand on this hot flame, it will burn me. So I best not do it. No, it's automatic. Hot flame, I recoil. Don't even think about it. It's woven into just who I am. Hot flames burn me. I don't have to think about it. And that's what happens with food. We recoil. It says we react sanely and normally. Top of page 85. This has happened automatically. I can't make myself react sanely and normally. Our new attitude toward liquor, toward food has been given us. It's a gift. It's been given to me, to you, a gift. Without any thought or effort on our part, we don't put the thought and effort on learning how to recoil. Our thought and effort goes into surrendering even more deeply to God, learning how to trust him more clearing away the wreckage of our past in each day and being of use to others as best we can. And then it says, it just comes. This is the miracle of it. Because remember, this recovery is nothing less than a miracle. God rewiring our heart, kicking the obsession to the curb. And it says, we're not fighting. We're not avoiding temptation. Now, of course, at the beginning, we may have to. That's just good common sense. An alcoholic doesn't sit there and, you know, walk through liquor stores when he's got, you know, five minutes of sobriety. You know, we may at the beginning have to stay away, you know, not take our kids into the ice cream store, ask our husbands to take them you know, at the beginning. But then it gets to the point where 
we don't have to avoid temptation. I was thinking about this as I was prepping. I have no idea where the candy aisle in my grocery store is. I'm in that grocery store every week. I don't even know where the candy aisle is. So I don't have to avoid. It's just like it's become irrelevant to me. And it says we feel as though we had been placed, placed by whom? Placed by God in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. Again, I picture, I guess, since I was thinking of the Wizard of Oz, like Dorothy, you know, in this tornado, the cyclone, you know, and then just being picked up and placed in a place of calm. And that's what happens to us. Neutrality, safe and protected. It says we haven't sworn off. Well, yeah, a lot of good swearing off did us, right? When we promised I'll never binge again, didn't work. The problem has been removed by God. Doesn't exist. We're not cocky. We're not afraid, right? Um, we're protected. So it's like if someone says, I was good today, and I would say, uh-uh, this isn't a question of good. This is a question of were you protected? So how do you how do we stay protected? How do we keep in fit spiritual condition? So in the times of uh the I guess this is like middle school social studies with the kings and the serfs. So the king would have a land and the serfs would work on it. And we're talking about like a good king. And he would say, okay, if you work on my land, you are protected. So when the invading armies come and try and attack, we're going to pull up the drawbridges and you're in my land. You are safe and protected. And but let's say some self-willed person like me decides, yeah, I, I don't really like having a king. I want to be my own king. I'm going to wander off the land and go to the forest on the far side of the kingdom. And I'm out there exploring and having a grand old time. And then the invading army comes. And I'm not in. I'm not within the drawbridges, safe and protected, because I've run off on self-will, not because the king stopped loving me. And in fact, this king is so good that he will send out a search and rescue party for me. But ultimately, it's on me to make sure I'm on the king's land where I stay safe and protected. So we need to stay right in the center of God's will. That's what it means to be in fit spiritual condition. And it says it is easy. And I and we start thinking oh, something about this program is easy. Yeah, here's what's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. You know, often we see people who get through the steps, work really hard, and then we don't see or hear from them again. They just get too busy with their good life. They don't sponsor people. They don't feel they have to connect with fellows anymore, be accountable to a sponsor anymore. And it tells us what happens. We are headed for trouble for alcohol is a subtle foe, right? Um, again, the personification. This illness does not want us happy, joyous, and free living on the king's land. Um, and it reminds us we are not cured. We have a daily reprieve. What's a reprieve? A stay of execution contingent on maintaining my spiritual condition. So what do I have to do every day? Carry the vision of God's will into all my activities. God has a will for us. 
he has a plan something for us to do and our job is to as best we can carry out that will and so here's a prayer we can it says that must go with us constantly how can i best serve thee my beloved king thy will not mine be done how can i best serve thee and often the way we can best serve our father is being good to his other children so what he wants melissa and i were talking the other day about um my kids called me together my daughter had had a problem and she had called my son and he had helped her and they were bonding and you know they called me together and they were just so bonded and my heart was just so happy to see my kids who you know would get in headlocks practically with each other when they were younger bonding and happy and helping each other um and melissa said i think that's how god feels when we do that with each other so every day how can i best serve thee thy will not mine be done and we can use our willpower here i can use my willpower that if i'm on vacation my husband says oh why don't we go here and i would prefer to go there i can use my willpower to say yeah that's fine now obviously i'm not a doormat and i'm fortunate that i have a husband who is considerate of what i want to do but um we can use our willpower to do the right thing you know um it's like when i went today into the city i was ready to call my boss this morning or send him an email saying can i just participate by zoom and i thought no he really wanted me there okay i'm gonna go that was willpower that wasn't i need a burst from god yes i can ask god to give me energy to be useful but i can use my willpower to do things that i know are right and then they start moving into transitioning to step 11. They say, okay, we've talked about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we follow directions, we've begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. Isn't that beautiful? Like a divine infusion, like a pick line of grace into us that gives us strength, inspiration, and direction. And it says, um, we, we've started to develop a sixth sense, like we intuitively know things to do. And it says, okay, step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. Don't be shy on this. Better men than us are using it constantly. Not just, hello, God, for five minutes in the morning, constantly. And it says, we work if we have the proper attitude and work at it. And it says, yeah, we could be vague, but we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. So I'm gonna make some definite suggestions. It's up to you whether or not they're valuable. Um, here are some things that I've found in my own prayer life that is that are helpful. Um, I always start with worship. So for me, it's usually singing a song, you know, a hymn, a spiritual song. Someone can read a Psalm if you're not inclined um, toward the bible or things like that then you can just praise god and this is different than thanking him this is just praising god as you understand him for just his awesomeness whatever and it's good to think of different qualities like one day it might be god i praise you that you're creative like you could have made this world in black and white and you made it in all these colors 
And another day, it might be praising him that he is merciful, that no matter how much we mess up, he forgives us again and again. So starting with worship. Um, then a part is what's called like contrition. And that's often our nightly review, like looking at what I did wrong and not just listing it, right? The next paragraph tells us how we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest? And a lot of us have these apps now. And so on our app, we go through, yes, here's how I was selfish. Here's how I was resentful. But we can't stop with that. We have to take this information and go to God with it. So when I do my review, I'll say, God, here's how I was selfish today. Please forgive me and help me to be unselfish. You know, please remove this resentment. Please help me not be afraid. Um, so we don't want to just get in the habit of doing it on an app and checking it off. We have a relationship. So we want to make sure we're talking to God through this all. And then we want gratitude. Again, these apps have gratitude. So um, I list my gratitudes. And then when I'm done typing them on the app, I'll sit there and I'll say, God, thank you for, and I'll go through everything. I know Karen writes a letter to God every night with her gratitudes. So gratitude. And then petition, right? We pray for what we need. Um, I pray for myself or what the big book says to pray for that I'm divorced from self-pity, dishonest, self-seeking motives. I also pray for um, God to keep me free from pride because that's a big Achilles heel of mine. And I pray for my family members. Um, I pray for knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry it out. And then I sit and I listen and um, I'll have a pen, a, a journal, and I'll listen because it's just like if I'm gonna go into my boss's office, um, I'm going to bring a pen and paper in case he gives me directions. So I want to be able, in case God speaks to me, to be able to write it down because I find that um, five minutes after I'm done, I forget. So, um, and then, okay. So those are just some things that I think are important to incorporate. Worship, contrition, gratitude, and our petitions. And again, it the book reminds us not to pray selfishly. So when we pray, we can, um, even when praying for other people, I think it's always good to tack on, but thy will not mine be done. Because I may think it's the right thing for something to happen, but God may have a better plan. So it says, when we retire at night, we review our day and we look for our selfishness, our resentment, um, I think one of the best questions is, what could we have done better? And someone, one day, um, I just found, and I had nothing written down there, and the sponsor said, there was nothing you could have done better. And from that day on, I made it a point to always think of something I could have done better. Um, was I thinking of myself most of the time? How was I thinking of myself too much? Was I thinking of others, what I could pack into the stream of life? And it, again, it reminds us not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, all forms of self, right? Thinking about myself. Why? Because then I'm not useful to others. So I make my review 
I ask God to forgive me. I generally say the seven step prayer and I'll insert in it the specific defects that I've indulged in. Um, and then we make our amends. So in the morning, it says a couple things that we do in our morning quiet time. We consider our plans for the day. And again, we ask God to direct our thinking, divorcing it from self-pity, dishonest, self-seeking motives. And it says then we can employ our mental faculties with assurance for God gave us brains to use. We can think, we can ask questions. God gave us brains to use. Um, and it tells us our thought life will be on a higher plane when our thinking um, is cleared of wrong motives. So it's like today, you know, instead of, you know, for, my initial thought is, oh, this is going to be hard on me. My mom's moved. Like I have to move her. And then it's like, uh-uh. And then it's like, think of my mom. And it's like, make sure she gets that picture. That picture of my dad and her is what comforts her, what grounds her. I can think of other people when I get myself out of the way. And it tells us, we're not always going to know what to do. When we don't, we ask God for inspiration and intuitive thought. It says, you're not going to get it all the time, right? It's not going to be like, I say, God, you know, should I take this job or that job? And a voice booms out of the heaven, take job number A. It doesn't work like that. Usually, every now and then, it not a voice, at least for me, but every now and then, it's something is crystal clear. Often it's just kind of a, a feeling. Um, and a good way to pray is like, God, what you want me to do, in, like close the doors that you want closed and open the doors that you want opened. Like put up roadblocks to things you don't want me to have. And again, another promise, our thinking will be more and more on the plane of inspiration, right? Because it's, we're not blocked by all the selfishness. And says we end our meditation time that we be shown all through the day, what's our next step. And we're given what we need to take care of problems and freedom from self-will. That if our families are so inclined, we ask them to join us. We can ask our spiritual advisor, priest, minister, rabbi for suggestions. And then it just tells us as we go through the day, when we're agitated or doubtful, agitated. I know it's easy to get agitated, right? And tells us what to do. We ask God for the right thought or action. And sometimes the right action is to just keep my mouth shut and do nothing. Constantly remind ourselves, I'm no longer running the show. Thy will not mine be done. And then it tells us, we're in less danger of certain things. So they're telling us these are things that are dangerous for us and to watch out for them. Excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, and foolish decisions. And we become efficient and we don't tire as easily because we're not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. And it says, we're undisciplined people. And this is the way that we really partner with God so that God can discipline us. And they say, okay, you think you're done, right? You're not. Remember, it's understanding and effectiveness. So they say the next chapter, which we'll pick up on on Monday, 
we're going to start, it says faith without works is dead. The work that we're called to do once we recover is the working with others um, because nothing will ensure freedom from the obsession with compulsive eating more than that. So um, we grow an understanding and effectiveness and live again to grow closer to God and better able to serve others. And with that, I pass.